You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. All right, welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast, and today is December 26, 2020. All right, so what we're going to discuss today is the topic, Stop Cooning. Who is the modern-day coon? Now, interestingly enough, when I, you know, decided to do this topic, it was really under the guise of seeing so many melanated, a.k.a. Black people, uh, take on different roles and how they're portrayed in media, whether it be reality TV, uh, whether it be in music or movies. So reality TV, the angry black woman, the snapping of the neck, the, the ready to argue and fight, no matter what her education status is, uh, no matter where her lot in life is, whether or not she's a doctor, whether or not she's married to a doctor, uh, same goes for, uh, you know, music. We all should know by now music, whether it be rap, gangster rap, etc., or in films, uh, always playing either the prostitute, the whore, uh, the drug dealer, the pimp. Okay, so originally, that's what I wanted to discuss on how the melanated people are portrayed in media and how melanated people are willingly taking on the role of the coon. And, um, you know, further perpetuate that image. So. We already know that. We see it in media quite well. Um, No matter how many times we go over it, we see people defend that type of behavior. Uh, Most recently in rap, uh, with the music that's being put out, and it is coming back to haunt the youngins with so many young rappers that have been gunned down in violence. Uh, based on the lifestyle that they chose to continue to lead, a lot of these rappers supposedly and allegedly coming from the streets, affiliated with gangs, uh, getting these record deals, making music, but still living that life of gang violence, and it catches up with them. And then on the flip side of that coin, what we what we are seeing portrayed is the bad B-I-T-C-H. So meaning this bad B-I-T-C-H portraying herself as a black melanated woman is using her body to get the come up. All right. So meaning how to get over on men, how to use men for money, how to get the bag you know, rather that be stripping on the pole, rather that being finding a hustler, a player, a baller to get that money. Um, and to the point of we had folks literally recently def- defending a song called WAP, right? 
and meaning the abbreviations of WAP, y'all should know by now, is wet ass P U, and then it ends with the Y. So I was going to come on and discuss that. So here's the ironic thing. I'm chilling, chilling, minding my business like I normally do. And when I get into a topic, I start research. I say, you know what? Let me officially look up the definition of coon, right? So I said, huh, let me go back to the etymology dictionary. Here we go, family. Coon, noun, a popular abbreviation of raccoon, 1742 American English. It was the nickname. Now, this is what totally family is going to change this particular topic on this subject. Okay? Because I was going in the one direction, which I, you know, talked about and described. But child, let me tell you that when the ancestors tell me to move a certain way, that's the way I move. Because once I saw this, I said, okay, I got it. I know what which way this particular podcast needs to go. This is important information that we need to know where this particular terminology came from. So, all right, popular abbreviation of raccoon, 742 uh, American English. It was the nickname of the Whig Party members in U.S. from 1848 to 60, as the raccoon was the party symbol and it also had associations with front, front, frontiers men, which stereotypically wore raccoon skin caps which probably ultimately was the source of the Whig Party sense. The party's 1840 campaign was built on a false image of wealthy William Henry Harrison as a rustic frontiersman. The now insulting U.S. meaning black person was in use by 1837 said to be from uh, Barracoon by 1837, from Portuguese, Barraca, slave depot, pen, or rough enclosure for black slaves in transit in West Africa, Brazil, Cuba. All right, so it's interesting that uh, it went from being what they said, the Whig Party picked up the symbol they used it from 1848 to 1860. I'm guessing they're saying that that's when the Whig Party uh, came into existence. So now, okay, it jumped from them taking that from black people being uh, slaves in the West African Brazilian Cuba trade. Mm, I don't know about that uh, etymology. Okay, but anyhow, if so, no doubt this was uh, boasted by the enormous popular blackface minstrel act Zip Coon, George Washington Dixon, which debated uh, in, in, sorry, yeah, I'm tongue-tied, in New York City, 1834. But it is perhaps 
older, one of the lead characters in the 19, I'm sorry, in the 1767 colonial comic opera, The Disappointment, is a black man named Raccoon. All right, so that's more like it. So them throwing the West African, Brazil, Cuba tie-in. I don't know about that. That's kind of throwing you off. So now they're going all the way back to 1767 in an opera about a black man named Raccoon. Uh, Okay, so it says also in Western U.S., a person generally, especially a sly-knowing person, 1832, Coon's age is 1843, Americans, English, probably an alteration of British, a crow's age. Crows are famously long-lived compared Greek, long-lived, literally having three times the age of a crow, but raccoons are not. Gone Coon, 1839, was used of a person who is in a very bad way or a hopeless condition. Okay, so y'all say probably saying, so Rhonda, so what? What stopped me dead in my track family was just the mention of Coon coming from really members of the Whig Party, right? So that sparked my interest because as uh, those of you who are familiar with uh, the series that we do on the Truth Uncompromised show, we did two entire series and one we're not even completely finished with. We're going to start it back up in January. The first one we talked about black nobility. Okay. So we went through the entire European kings and queens who are really the origins of those kings and queens are black slash AKA melanated slash swanny, uh, swathy rather. Swathy, okay? So we went through that entire lineage. And then the second series is The Real Pilgrims, the true story of immigrants coming to America, which we have not completed that series. We're probably uh, 40-something shows in, all right? And we're right up to the point of the Civil War And we also are going to dive a little bit more into the American Revolutionary War in that series. And that series also speaks on and gives the receipts and the proof on whom was really the slaves, all right, which really it was about indentured servant contracts. And guess what? White folks were the indentured servants as well as melanated black, A.K. swathy Europeans. Yes. So slavery was definitely not what they are speaking of, how they're teaching it in school. Slavery consisted of folks coming to the Americas on these indentured, indentured servitude contracts that are blacks and whites. Very, very little Africans hit the shores of the Americas as slaves, all right? 
So you can check out that series on YouTube, uh, Truth Uncompromised. And again, that series is called The Real Pilgrims, The True Story of Immigrants Coming to America. All right. So just kind of building on what that particular series was talking on, talking about and speaking about that even the founding of the 13 colonies was founded by who? Melanated black kings. Going to repeat that again. The first 13 colonies in the Americas was founded by black swathy European kings. So that means Kings George Nim, uh, the Stuarts, a.k.a. King James Nim, are swathy black. All right? So just a quick source, and we talk about that in the, that series. Uh, you can look up literally, and this book is a collector's item if you... Check out the series on YouTube. You're going to hear me reference this particular source a lot. I highly recommend that you get this book because it is a collector's item. It's an easy read. He does an excellent job with the layout, and he also provides his sources, okay? And if you are a true researcher, you even take his particular sources and cross-check. Cross-reference check on who he say his resources are to validate that that is indeed the case. And I have, and he does check out. And I am able to use this source as I'm referencing other sources and going through other particular material. It ties back to what he is saying. So uh, this book is called The Negro Question Part 6. The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. He lays it out very clear. He provides his sources on the Black swathy kings of Europe are the founders, and I don't even say founders because I cannot, with a clear consciousness, say that they founded something when it was actually theft and war, Okay on the indigenous, swathy, black, indigenous Indians of the Americas, okay? All right, but nonetheless, the 13 black colonies were established by black swathy kings, all right? So, Who's this Whig party? What is what is this whole deal about the coon, the word coon, coming from the establishment of the Whig party? All right, so let me get to the Whig. Just a second here, family. Let me pull this up. All right, so uh, this is an easy one, y'all. Y'all should be able to... Uh, get this stuff yourself for sure, for sure. Uh, let me see here. Let me pull up this source, y'all. Hold on a second. All right, let's get to the wig party. Okay. Wig party. Now, this should be easy and simple, as I said before. 
This is simply just pulling from Wikipedia, all right? But as always, when you're doing research, when you're using, quote, quote, conventional history, what's taught in school, they always give you clues of the real history, okay? And always as before, they do in this simple explanation or origins of Whig Party, and this is off of Wikipedia. The Whig Party was a political party active in the middle of the 19th century in the United States. Alongside the slightly larger Democratic Party, it was one of the two major parties in the United States. During the late 1830s, the 1840s, and the early 1850s, part of the second party system. All right, and the second party system, it's saying historians and political scientists use second party systems to period, period, periodize, <laughs> sorry, y'all, the political party system operating in the United States from about 1828 to 1854 after the first party system ended. The system was characterized by rapidly rising levels of voters' interest beginning in 1828. All right. Four presidents were affiliated with the Whig Party for at least part of their respective terms. Other influ influential, there you go, couple of days off a of sister is tongue-tied. Other influ influential party leaders include Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, William Seward, John J. Critter, and Truman Smith. We finna go over William Seward in a minute. Now, those of you that rock with us on Truth Uncompromised and you are following along with us on the series uh, The Real Pilgrim, The True Story of Immigrants Coming to America, y'all already know who William Seward is. But we're going to give the WTUZ radio podcast family insight into who William Seward is, okay? And also notice the dates that they are saying the Whig Party was active, 1830s and 40s and early 50s, okay? Remember, slavery, quote, quote, slavery didn't end until what? After the Civil War, 1865. So I want y'all to keep that in mind as we're going to show you and prove to you who William Seward is, all right? And he's just one. He's just one of the ones. Let's get into this. The Whigs emerged in the 1830s in opposition to President Andrew Jackson. We're going to get in on him a little bit too. Pulling together former members of the National Republican Party, the anti-Masonic Party, and disaffected Democrats. Huh? What's the anti-Masonic Party? The anti-Masonic Party, also known as the anti-Masonic Movement, was the first third party in the United States. It strongly opposed Freemasonry 
as a single issue party and later aspired to become a major party by expanding its platform to take positions on other issues. Okay. All right. So y'all should already know what that means. Uh, You should already know if you're listening to materials such as this, that uh, masonry or Masonic influence is very, very heavy in the United States and really across the globe. And I, I don't even want to say globe. Let me correct that. Across the world. But specifically in the United States, we can pretty much say that every president is in the Masonic order at a minimum, if not more than one order. Okay. Even the way the District of Columbia is laid out is tied to Masonic. All right. So let me just go back and read this. The Whigs emerged in the 1830s in opposition to President Andrew Jackson, pulling together former members of the National Republican Party, the Anti-Masonic Party, and disaffected Democrats. Democrats. The Whigs had some weak links to the defunct feudalistic or feudalist party, but the Whig party was not a direct successor to that party, and many Whig leaders, including Henry Clay, had aligned with the rival Democratic Republic Republican Party. All right, so let's go back to the uh, feudalist party. Okay, y'all, you, those that study even just typical history that they teach in school, forgive me, let me I'll take a sip of water. Y'all even should know what the uh, feudalist party is. Uh, that was a political, that was the first political party in the United States under Alexander Hamilton. It dominated the national government from 1791 to 1801. It became a minority party while keeping a stronghold in New England and make a brief resurgence by opposing the War of 1812. All right? Okay. So let's also say, because they also say that um, they align with the rival Democratic Republican Party. Who knew? Who knew? You mean to tell me a Democratic Republic Party? All right, let's take a snippet of that. The Democratic Republican Party, better known as the time under various other names, was an American political party founded by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison in the early 1790s that championed republicanism, political equality, and expansionism. All right. So, in the 1836 president election, four different regional Whig candidates received electoral votes. 
but the party failed to defeat Jackson's chosen successor, Martin Van Buren. Whig nominated William Henry Harrison, unseated Van Buren in the 1840 presidential election, but died just one month of his term. Harrison's successor, John Taylor, or Tyler, my bad, John Tyler, was expelled from the party in 1841 after clashing with Clay and other Whig party leaders over economic policies such as the reestablishment of a national bank. All right, so before we go any further, because I'm only going to read a couple of more paragraphs of this, I want y'all to know why I just insisted on going in a different direction of the podcast on uh, Stop Cooning, who is the modern-day coon. And when I saw the etymology of what the word coon meant, and it was referencing the uh, Whig party, why I stopped and changed course. Because, family, let's go over who... William Seward is. I'll I'll reread the sentence. The Whig Party was a political party active in the middle of the 19th century in the United States. Alongside the slightly larger Democratic Party, it was one of the two major parties in the United States during the late 1830s, the 1840s, and the early 1850s, part of the second party system. Four presidents were affiliated with the Whig Party for at least part of their respective terms. Other influential party leaders include Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, William Seward, John J. Crichton, and Truman Smith. All right, who is William Seward? This is the Negro Question, Part 6, 13 Black Colonies by Brother Lee Cummings. This is out of his book. Let me get to my page, y'all. All right. So we're going to talk about who William Seward was. So this is on page, starting on page 147 on the Negro Question, Part 6, the 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. I went back in time and you're going to get a dump, double whammy for the folks that are hearing this information for the first time. So uh, the, the WTUZ radio podcast listeners, if you have not uh, been a part of our series, this is the first time you're hearing this information. Okay. It's coming out of our series off of Truth, Compro- uh, Truth Uncompromise on YouTube The Real Pilgrims, The True Story of Immigrants Coming to America. All right? This was a double whammy, y'all, so get ready. Let me shut on up and get back to it. This is page 147. I went back on the timeline and pulled up the list of men and women and children that Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart rescued from the South. So y'all know who they're saying Harriet Tubman is, that she was a 
she was she rescued slaves from the South, right? That's what Harriet Tubman is known for. But this brother proved with receipts that Harriet Tubman has black nobility European bloodline and she is a Ross, uh, which is also the bloodline of Stuart, which is the bloodline of King James because King James' mama maiden name is Stuart. Okay? So, he said, uh, I went back on the timeline and pulled up the list of men, women, and children that Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart rescued from the South. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw the last name Ross and Stewart on the list of rescued people. Then I took a look at Harriet Tubman's parents' names and I saw the names Ross and Stewart. I immediately ran to the map and saw Ross and Stewart in the highlands of Scotland. I reread the writings of the European witnesses, all right? The Stewarts on the ship manifest are black. The images of the Stuart kings are black. And the Stewarts that Harriet Tubman rescued from the South were black. All right, I'm getting to the William C. word. Bear with me. I just want to give you all the content. I also wanted to once again validate that Europeans coming over to Americans, to Americas, were also black. All right? And those indentured servants were a combination of white Europeans and black Europeans. All right, so, all right, he says, the math says that the black stewards that Harriet Tubman Stewart rescued from the South were, in fact, the seed of King James Stewart. What was Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart really doing in the South? This woman was rescuing the royal seed of the kings called Stewart the seed of the black Highlanders, plain and simple. Ross was one of the titles that the kings of Stuart held in Scotland. There is a document, and he's given more receipts going back in this particular book, that is titled The Oath of a Broth. The document mentions the Earl of Ross and Walter Stuart. The document is dated 1320 AD, which is an indication of how old these names are, and it disputes the argument of the modern scholar, scholar that the black Scots took on the names of their so-called slave masters. It appears that the whites took on the last names and titles of the deported blacks to lay claim to their land and inheritance. The seed of the black royals of Europe have been scattered into the four winds of heavens. All right, so let me see here. He's given a scripture. Also look at the map showing the Scottish Highlanders and the name Ross is there. Are you a free human? Are you a free thinking human being? Can you think for yourself? What are the odds? 
that Harriet Tubman and her family would be named Ross Stewart. The plot thickens. When Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart rescues a black man from slavery, here we go, y'all. When Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart rescues a black man from slavery named William Henry Stewart, it is important to note that this man's lineal name appears on different ship manifests as political prisoners. The name William Stewart can be found on the convict ship Hocken Hill and the ship York. This simply proves that the Stewart royals were being rounded up and deported into the colonies as convicts. What was their crime? They believed in the divine right of the kings to rule and they tried to, to restore the black stewards to the throne of the three kingdoms. All right. All right, so he said, let's play the game, conspiracy theory. What are the odds that the same name, William Henry Seward? Y'all catch that? This with a Seward coming. I know, baby, I took you around the block and, and the corner, got a, a pack of squares and something to drink, but I had to do all that because I also wanted to tie in the Harriet Tubman to get to the Seward. Let's play the game conspiracy theory. What are the odds that the same name William Henry Seward appears as the Secretary of State in the administration of Abraham Lincoln? Think about this. Harriet Tubman Stewart rescues a man with the name William Henry Stewart in 1851. Four and, and 11 years later, this same name appears as Secretary of State of the United States, minus the T. What are the odds? So he gives a um, the receipts of the ship manifest of the stewards coming over to the Americas, all right? Okay, and, and literally, you can go down the list. You got um, all stewards in Ross, right? On that uh, ship manifest. All right, so again, going back to what we were saying on here that about the Whig Party, uh, it was one of the two major parties in the United States during the late 1830s, the 1840s, and the early 50s part of the second party system. Four presidents were affiliated with the Whig Party for at least part of their respective terms. Other influential party leaders included Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, William Seward, Although they're listing him as a white man, he was not white. He was a steward. Okay? To show you how they're whitewashing history. All right? So, um, you can, uh, you know, you can read the rest of what uh, Brother um, 
Lee Cummings is talking about in his book, The Negro Question, Part 6, The 13 Black Colonies. Um, you know, he talks about uh, the assassination of Lincoln. I might as well read it. Hell, I'll read that part. Okay, because this this is a, an excellent body of work. And again, shout out to Brother Lee Cummings. Uh, very, very important body of work. I highly encourage you to get this book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it is a collector's item, I say. And it is also an easy read for you to pass along to your children as well. All right, so we're going to finish up just on William Seaworth. And we're going to go on Andrew Jackson for a little bit. The same day that Abraham Lincoln, all right, so I'm going to pause. Abraham Lincoln is also a melanated man, okay? Now, I didn't pull the receipts for this because I'm trying to keep it short. Then pull the receipts about Abraham Lincoln being a melanated man. You can check out Brother Kuwamel on YouTube. He did an entire drop on Abraham Lincoln with the receipts of him being described as black, as swarthy. He did an excellent job. So go check him out. He has the receipts. Again, that's Brother Kuwameo, K-U-R-I-M-E-O on YouTube. He did an entire drop on Abraham Lincoln being melanated, okay? And that would make sense because William Seward a.k.a. Stewart, was definitely melanated. The same day that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, the entire family of black stewards slash seawards was savagely attacked by an assassin by the name of Lewis Powell, a 20-year-old Confederate soldier. Powell slash Secretary of State William Henry Seawards slash stewards Assistant Secretary of State Frederick Augustus, Augustus Seward slash Stewart and his daughter, but they all lived. It was a hit on the entire administration. There is another intriguing element to the story that cannot be dismissed. When Harriet Ross Tubman and her family made it to Canada, they dropped the last name Ross Earl and assumed the title Stuart King. This cannot be a coincidence. Check out the names. James Stewart, Henry, William Henry Stewart, uh, and Henry. The evidence points to Harriet Tubman Stewart and her family being the royal seed of King James Stewart. All right. So does it not or would it not make sense that remember the Stewarts were overthrown in Europe, okay, and uh, deported. So they specifically came over to the Americas so would it not make sense that William Seward slash Stewart would be a part of the Whig Party? All right. Would it not make sense if, and they did, 13 black 
melanated kings of Europe established the colonies and King James and them people was a part of that. But all of the fighting and crap broke out over Europe as they were overthrowing the particular kingdoms and the Stuart kingdom was the one that got overthrown as well. And we find ship manifest with those stewards leaving up out of Europe, coming over to the Americas. Would it not make sense that Seward slash Stuart would be a part of the Whig party? And who were the Whig party? They um, emerged as in opposition to Andrew Jackson and they were anti-Masonic, all right? So in other words, they were anti-against that particular, I would say, bloodline or empire that overthrew their folk, all right? Let's get on Andrew Jackson, Now, Andrew Jackson is known as, you know, one of the founding fathers of the Americas, yada, 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 blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. He's also known as um, massacring the indigenous Indians. Okay? So we should know who Andrew Jackson is, specifically in what we call today Florida, He massacred the Indians. This is what blew our wig back as we were doing the series, The Real Pilgrim, The True Story of Immigrants Coming to America. This is what blew our wig back. Excuse me, on Andrew Jackson. This is coming from another book. This is... uh, Another source, I highly recommend this book as well. White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. This is on page 122. In a caricature, Jackson appeared as a swathy, swaggering, bump flanked by a corpse of militiamen who were no more than ragged, shoeless brutes, beating drums with bones and wearing skulls instead of hats. Huh? Jackson is what, swarthy? I thought Jackson was white. So we're going to flip back over to just for the definition of swarthy. Y'all should know by now, but if you're new to this, we're going to give you what the definition means. Swarthy, dark colored, especially of skin. 1580. All right. Another one as a noun. Uh, also, Schwarzer. Okay, so that's even Schwartz. 
We talked about this, I think last week, uh, came up again in, in our uh, last third, well, week before last, in our, our Thursday show about Swartz, meaning black, right? So swathy, dark colored, this is the adjective, dark colored, especially skin. And then the noun Swartz, or also Swartzer, black person. And then it's a somewhat de derogatory. And then 1961 Yiddish from Swartz, black, see, swarthy, okay? So let me read that again from White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. All right, that is on page 120, uh, shoot, let me see, sorry, y'all, <laughs> Page 122, Jackson appeared as Swarthy. Okay, so now who was whom again in this Whig party? We already done established that the Whig party consists of William Seward, who's Swarthy, black, he's a steward. The rest of the dudes, I could probably research them and probably more than likely, they are swarthy, black, or tawny, meaning brown, or a mixture of brown and something else, brown and Caucasian. That's what tawny means, okay? But I'm not concentrating on them as much as I am C-word, because I got the evidence on C-word steward. So you got a steward up in the wig party which the Whig Party really is where the name Coon came from, right? Because of the raccoon, quote, quote, hats they used to wear. But they were in opposition to Andrew Jackson, who is described as swarthy. So what are we talking about here, family? We're talking about the founders, and I can't even say founders, let me retract that. The folks that establish what we are calling the United States and the 13 colonies were black swathy. And the new colonists who were also swathy Warring over territory in the United States. They're warring over territory. So even Andrew Jackson himself, who is described as swathy in the same um, book, White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg, is also described Andrew Jackson's wife, they described her as a fat black bitch. All right? So this is what we're talking about, family. Even just the simple term coon, even the simple term coon is something totally different than what we think it is. Totally, totally different.
So today it went from being associated with the Whig party to now being associated with melanated people cooning or acting white or embarrassing the melanated race. It means something totally, it meant something totally different back up in the day than what it means today. But it's interesting that even what its original meaning was, which was being tied to the identity of the Whig Party, Whig Party members were melanated swathy. Okay, so just another reference uh, real quick. We're also going to talk about uh, some of the, the folks that were the first presidents before George Washington. We discussed this before in um, our series, but I'm just going to give you a snippet, a snippet rather, here. Okay, you can go look this stuff up yourself. But before George Washington, and I'm in the firm belief that all of those founding fathers who they are calling the founding fathers of the United States of the Americas, even them, I believe they were swathy, tawny, slash mulatto at a minimum. We have the receipts on Andrew Jackson. Uh, you can check out Brother Kuamel's video on Abraham Lincoln, um, Alexander Hamilton himself. He was a mulatto. Okay. So even the founding fathers. At a minimum, at a minimum, more than likely were Tawny Brown. Tawny, which means the mixture, Tawn, meaning two. So meaning the mixture of something, a.k.a. mulatto. So at a minimum, they were mulatto, okay? But let's go to the, the 14 presidents before George Washington, and that's even including George Washington, I believe, was melanated. I will have to do a little bit more research on that and get the little receipts. So maybe in the future, we'll pull together a radio podcast to go over the founding father's uh, race. Okay, so uh, this is from the Atlanta Black Star, 14 presidents of the United States before George Washington. You had Thomas McKean. Oh, hold on, y'all. Let me back up. Dog on it, Rhonda. Let me back up because he's seventh on the list. All right, I'm just going to run through them. All right. Now, even in this article from Atlanta Black Star, uh, they need to do a lot bit more research than what they're doing. I know they're using mainstream history, which you have to take. Their mainstream history, and you have to use supplemental information to tie the two together. Because what they are showing us in this particular article are Caucasian folks 
and the 14 presidents of the United States before George Washington, they were melanated. Okay. And um, I can't think of this one gentleman name. They, didn't, they actually, they kicked his butt up off the air soon after he mentioned that the presidents, the first black pres, the first presidents of the United States before George Washington were black. They soon kicked his butt up off the air. He was uh, on Fox News. I forget his name. I forgive me, brother, for not remembering your name. It's a Caucasian man. They kicked his butt right on up off the air when he put this information out. Okay, so Atlanta Black Star, you got to get better because you simply could have just went back and took Blood's clip from his show. Well, I guess his stuff came out after your stuff because you put this out March 3rd. Well, you need to come back and update this. All right, so uh, in the United States, Declaration of Independence was adopted in 1776 and the Constitution in 1789. And if George Washington was not inaugurated until 1789, who were the presidents for the first 13 years? The truth is the United States had 14 presidents who ran the country through the first government, the Continental Congress, which started in 1774. Below are the first 14 presidents of the United States. All right, so uh, Peyton Randolph, uh, he was a delegate voted in Philly for the first Continental Congress. They elected Peyton Randolph as the first president of the territory known as the United States. Randolph was a planter and a public official from the colony of Virginia. Are y'all paying attention? Remember, them colonies was founded by the 13 colonies were founded by black European kings. Okay. So would it not make sense that these early planters who had indentured servants who were both melanated and white if the kings were black of Europe that established the colonies over in the Americas, the first 13 colonies, then would it not make sense that they boys them would also be black swathy, these early planters? All right. So um, Randolph was a planter and public official from the colony of Virginia. He also served as Speaker of the Virginia House of Burgess and Chairman of the Virginia Conventions. So before I move on, just real quick, because I don't want to gloss over, even the Declaration of Independence family was a joint venture by, uh, do, 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 damn y'all, damn y'all, might have to come back, it's escaping my mind. It was really a combination of melanated Indians and black Europeans who had partnered together. They pretty much wrote the Declaration of Independence. 
All right. So forgive me for not um, having this in the back of my brain. I want to give you the proper word because the even what they call that tribe, the derivative of that tribe is French. Okay. AKA melanated French. All right. So hopefully it'll come back to me, y'all. Dang, I hate when I get a point and then lose it. All right, so that's uh, Peyton Randolph. So Blood was in there. Uh, how long did he serve? 1774 to 1775. Henry Middleton, the second president of the United States, was one of, was one of the wealthy planners in the South from one of the most powerful families in the nation. Henry Middleton was also a plantation owner and public official from South Carolina. Huh? What? Yes, melanated. Let's be clear. The planters in the, even in the South, even in South Carolina, these folk were melanated. They tied back to the melanated Kingdoms of Europe, specifically French, and then um, Britain. All right? Now, you can go check out uh, on YouTube a brother's work. His YouTube channel is called Legendary Top Cats. He goes over who those planters, those wealthy planters in the South are, specifically in South Carolina, Carolina, okay? The French Huguenots, who were French Jews, black, swathy Jews, right? So Henry Middleton, second president, plantation owner, public official from South Carolina. So here you have first one, was a planter. Uh, Randolph, second one, Middleton, planter out of South Carolina. But he served as president for a few days in 1774. Right, let's get to three. John Hancock. Right? So they saying... Um, they got two dates up in here, and it's confusing me, y'all. So I'm not going to do the dates because I'm not sure if they're saying he served until 1786. But then they have 1775 through 1777. So I don't know what they're talking about. But anyhow, John Hancock, the third president, was rebel leader and merchant John Hancock. Hancock also served as the first and third governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He is remembered for his large and stylish signature of the United States of Declaration of Independence, so much so that the term John Hancock became a synonym for a signature. That is absolutely correct. Henry Lawrence. The fourth president was Henry Lawrence, who was an American merchant and rice planter from South Carolina 
and became a political leader during the Revolutionary War. Right? Okay, and coming in January, we gonna get up into this Revolutionary War when we pick back up the series um, of the uh, Real Pilgrims, the true story of immigrants coming to America on the Truth Uncompromised show. We're gonna get into the Revolutionary War and we're gonna bring the receipts that even in the Revolutionary War, folk were melanated A.K. Swathi. Because what was happening was the fighting of the melanated empires. They were fighting each other. Okay? For land and territory over here in Americas. So once again, here blood is from South Carolina. Lauren succeeded John Hancock as president and was the signatory of the Articles of Confederation and president when the Constitution was passed on November 15, 1777. Lawrence had earned great wealth as a partner in the largest slave trading house in North America, Austin, and Lawrence. In the 1750s alone, this Charleston firm oversaw the little, little, the uh the sale of more than 8000 enslaved africans all right all right so that end they will have to bring some receipts not saying that slavery again did not happen from africans but it certainly wasn't in the millions so i would need to see some ship manifest to prove this because what we find in our research that what they're calling slavery was literally contract indentured servitude or prisoners of war, the indigenous people of the land who became prisoners of war or folks coming over from Europe, melanated folks that were serving out their prison terms in the colonies, all right? And what our ship manifest records show, we show... um, folks coming from Europe over to the Americas or coming from Europe over to what we're today calling the Caribbean islands, right? So Jamaica, Haiti, and all of that jazz. Or we see um, indigenous melanated Indians being shipped from the mainland of the Americas to the islands and or the island folks, melanated people being shipped to uh, the mainland Americas. So that's the most slave trade that we saw. The only records that we were able to pull, uh, it was just one record that showed one girl from Africa, if I'm not mistaken, All right, so they would have to prove with some ship manifest because slavery, as they said, again, I say, it was really indentured servitude contracts and or people that were serving out a prison sentence or prisoners of war, right? So that was... That's who were held 
as slaves or what they name the term slaves, okay? And if you check the ship manifest records, you'll see the transporting of folks among the ports between the American mainland island, um, the American mainland, what we call today the United States, and the Caribbean islands, and over in Europe. All right. And plus, if you go back to the original charters of the colonies, slavery was really outlawed. And that was another big fight because slavery was outlawed by the melanated kings of Europe. But the melanated planters and the investors got greedy and they wanted that cheap labor, all right? So it was a back and forth battle on cheap labor and slavery. And so you're going to see those terms being interchanged. So in other words, y'all, a hot mess. Because even the state of Georgia started out as being set up as a place where slavery was abolished. But uh, the investors kept going back and forth because they wanted cheaper labor, all right? But even if you categorize someone as a slave, you have to dig further and look at their records and see where did they come from? Did they come from Africa? If they came from Africa, it's going to be noted on the record that they are African and it's going to tell you what part of Africa they came from or are they an indentured servant who came over under a contract to work the lands or are they a convict? So meaning they were locked up in jail in Europe And in order to get up out of jail, oh, yeah, okay, either I stay up in this jail or I go to this new land and work, all right, I'll do that, okay? So when you see the term slave, you really now should think in terms of they have to prove to you the origin of that slave because it can fall into one of those categories, right? And even when we say indentured servitude, that means black, swathy, and white, okay? All right, so let's get back to the 14 presidents of the United States before George Washington. John Jay, uh, he was the fifth president. He was the secretary of state, the first chief justice of Supreme Court, and one of his first ambassadors, Samuel Huntington, Samuel Huntington was a jurist, statesman, statesman and patriot from Connecticut during the American Revolutionary Revolution rather. He also served as president from 1779 to 1781, chief justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court from 1784 to 1785 and the 18th governor of Connecticut from 1786 until his death. So that's interesting. I just made me think of even the name of Huntington Bank 
Was that derived from the Samuel Huntington? Interesting. All right, so let's go to Thomas McCain. All right, now I'm finna tell y'all something. Go to YouTube channel, Legendary Top Cat. Shout out to that brother on his series on the Black Europeans. He did an excellent entire drop on Thomas McCain. Check it out. All right. Thomas McKean was an American lawyer and politician from Newcastle County, Delaware, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. During the American Revolution, he was a delegate to the Continental Congress, where he signed the United States Declaration of Independence and the Article of Confederation. McKean also served as president. John Hanson. John Hanson was a merchant and public official from Maryland during the era of the American Revolution. After serving in a variety of roles for the Patriot cause in Maryland in 1779, Hanson was elected president and became the first official to serve a one-year term under the provision of the Article of Confederation. Now, typically, when you hear about folks saying that there was a black president before President Obama, you will hear John Hansen's name come up consistently. All right? So, the other part of the story was that, uh, however, where you had 14 Presidents before George Washington, who were melanated and or tawny slash mulatto. And I am willing to say even who they're calling the founding fathers were swathy, tawny slash mulatto. Because we do know Jackson, swathy, Abraham Lincoln, swathy. Right, just to name a few. All right, we're we're rounding up because I'm trying not to make this too long for you. Uh, Elias um, Benoit, probably or Bentonot is French, so I'm I'm butchering Blood's name. I apologize. <laughs> Elias was a lawyer and statesman from Elizabeth, New Jersey who was the delegate to the Continental Congress and served as president from 1782 to 1783. He also was elected U.S. congressman for New Jersey following the American Revolutionary War and was appointed by President George Washington as director of the United States Mint, serving from 1795 until 1805. Thomas Mifflin. Thomas Mifflin was an American merchant and politician from Philly. He was a major general in the Continental Army and the first and third quartermaster general during the American Revolution, a member of the Pennsylvania Provincial Assembly, a Continental congressman from 
Pennsylvania and a delegate to the Constitutional Convention of 1787. He also served as president. All right, so where are we at? We're at 11, Richard Henry Lewis. Richard Henry, oh, my bad. Richard Henry Lee, my bad, I apologize. Richard Henry Lee was an American statesman from Virginia. Okay, we got a lot of folks from Virginia on the list. Wasn't Virginia named one of the 13 colonies? Those 13 colonies that were founded by black, swathy, melanated kings. Okay, Virginia was also the place where it was known for tobacco. All right, look up uh, Roanoke. Okay, Roanoke, Virginia. If you go back and you look at the older um, tobacco Indian statues, they're melanated, right? So you're talking about the Indian melanated folk were doing business with the Dutch, the French, and then later the English, all right? Okay, so it's a lot of Virginians on this list. Because what we have to realize as you start to do this true history and you start to gather these true receipts, you see that these particular families, when they came over to the Americas, these particular melanated families, let me correct myself, these melanated European royal families started coming over here and sending their people over here, more importantly, who were also melanated, it was for the purpose of doing business. Totally for the purposes of doing business. And they hit that East Coast first. And they were doing business, the Dutch, prior to the 13 colonies, all right? These are still melanated people. They're doing business with the melanated Indians for fur trade, and when you, once you get up into Virginia, to the tobacco. Even the whole name of what's called New York today, which New York is actually York, it's named after the Duke of York, which is named after uh, one of the titles of melanated King James slash Stuart Ross. One of his titles was the Duke of York. So even the term New York today is named after a melanated king. But let's back up to what the name was prior to that. New Amsterdam. Okay? All right? So that's why you're going to see a lot of these Virginians <laughs> up all up in the house when it's concerning being president because they're tying back to those original 13 colonies, right? Okay, so Richard Henry Lee was an American statesman from Virginia, best known for the motion in the Second Continental Congress calling for the colonies independence from Great Britain. He was a signator 
of the Articles of Confederation and his famous resolution of June 1776 led to the United States Declaration of Independence, which Lee signed. He also served a one-year term as president and was a United States senator from Virginia from 1789 to 1792. Nathaniel Gorham. Nathaniel Gorham was a politician and merchant from Massachusetts. He was a delegate from Massachusetts to the Continental Congress and for six months served as president. He also attended the Constitutional Convention and was one of the signers of the United States Constitution. On September 17, 1787 in Philly. All right, so now we're going to go to number 13, Arthur St. Clair. Arthur St. Clair was an American soldier and politician born in Scotland. He served in the British Army during the French and Indian War before settling in Pennsylvania, where he held local office. During the American Revolutionary War, he rose to the rank of major in the Continental Army, but lost his command after a controversial retreat. He became president in February 1787, right? And the last one is Cyphus Griffin. Cyphus Griffin was a lawyer and judge who served as the last president before George Washington, holding office from January 27, 22nd, rather, 1788 to November 2nd, 1788. Oh, dang, he only uh, served a, a couple of months, but a couple of them only served a couple of months. He resigned after the ratification of the United States Constitution and was later a United States federal judge, okay? So that is the 14 presidents of the United States before George Washington. They were melanated, all right? So even when you hear the term about the Continental Congress, that is describing those melanated, black, swathy Europeans. All of them, okay? All right, family. So let me make sure I got all my points. I don't want to make this too long. (laughs) I think I did. I think I did. I think I got everything out. All right. So just in in conclusion, even the word cooning, it totally meant something different. All right. What we are thinking it means today you know, meaning you are an embarrassment to the melanated people. Uh, You would stab your melanated people or race in the back to cozy up and be with white folk. That's what we think it means today. Where the origins of it was literally about the Whig party. And the Whig Party was a party of melanated, swathy Europeans that were in opposition to melanated European, uh, swathy Europeans 
on the other side. So meaning Andrew Jackson and them and uh, anti-Masonic. Okay, and we can probably even go as far as say as to say uh, the the Stewarts or the Jacobites being against Jackson, those Europeans, those black Europeans. Okay, so I hope that just this little insight uh, helps you out, family. Like I said, we're going to get back on this series in January on Truth Uncompromised show. And the particular series that we have been doing is The Real Pilgrims, The True Story of Immigrants Coming to America. So join us with that series on YouTube on on Truth Uncompromised. And also check out the other brothers' body of work. They have done a wonderful, excellent job as well on the Black Europeans. Uh, the first one is Kuameo. He is, he's on YouTube. The spelling of his name is K-U-R-I-M-E-O. He has excellent bodies of work out there. He talks about the Black Europeans. He talks about the Huguenots. He goes over and proves that uh, Lincoln was Black. He goes over and proves that, um, what's my guy, the Hamilton dude was uh, Mulatto. So check out his work. Uh, check out brother on YouTube, brother Legendary Top Cats, uh, T-O-P-C-A-T-Z. He does, he's doing a series on the Black Europeans. And he also talks about those French Huguenots out of South Carolina. So check out his body of work as well. So family, the reason that <clears throat> I particularly have taken on this topic, this is going on probably my third year diving in the topic of Black Europeans. It is because as melanated people, we have to look at the entire picture. We have to look at the truth and its entirety and not sugarcoat it. And the reason we have to do that is to, in order to get total freedom, total peace, and to break generational curses is to do it through truth. That's the only way you're going to be free. The ancestors are screaming out to, you know, through us to put this information out, to break the curses, to right the wrongs of the mistakes that were made in the past with the black on black crime. So hopefully this message and this information receives you well. Uh, I thank you for all of your support. And again, this is WTUZ Radio Podcast. We are a family of Truth Uncompromised Media Network. So thank you much, family. Peace and love. To um, what we just talked about, y'all. Child, y'all know it's mine sometime. 
the tribe that I was trying to remember, the indigenous Indian tribe that I was trying to remember that helped write the Declaration of Independence with the French name is the Iroquois. The Iroquois, even if you sound it out, French all day long. So just wanted to put that in there, family as an after afterthought. My bad, I couldn't remember it in the beginning. The name of that indigenous tribe, Indian tribe in the Americas, which was melanated, that had intermarried with those black swathy Europeans in their tra- tribe is Iroquois. So even the name Iroquois is French. So you're looking at an indigenous black swathy tribe that intermarried with black swathy Europeans who influenced the writing of the Declaration of Independence, the Iroquois Nation. So thanks very much, family. Peace and love.